Well, so far it's been uh, an amazing journey in our study through the book of John. Who's been here from chapter 1 to now? Raise your hand if you've been here. And doesn't it sort of feel like you've been living in the days of Christ? Like, like you've been taken back in a time machine 2,000 plus years ago to relive these events in the days of Christ. Just to give you a quick recap in chapter 1, we saw that the Word became flesh, that the, the infinite became finite, that Jesus Christ took on human flesh. We got introduced to a man named John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, who would prepare the way, who would prepare the people to make straight for the Lord is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. In chapter 2, we saw the first sign as Jesus turned water into wine, and we saw him dismantle a temple. In John chapter 3, we learned that one must be born from above to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I will go more and explain what else we learned in John chapter 3 in a minute. But here we are today as we enter probably the most famous or one of the most famous stories in the Bible. The woman of the well. Let me remind you that the greatest person we could ever learn about is Jesus Christ. The greatest teacher we could ever be taught from is Jesus Christ. The greatest biography we can ever read about is Jesus Christ. In my view, the highest doctrine we can ever learn is Christology, the life of Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, the Bible and particularly this book of John isn't just some facts about Jesus that's thrown in a book. But this is a story. This is a heavenly story about the Word who became flesh in the beginning and the breakfast at the sea at the end. This is the greatest story that's ever been told. And one of the problems Christians face today is they worry too much about application. They worry too much about how could the Bible relate to my problems and how the Bible relates to my current situations. Instead of sitting down and just simply learning about their God, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that learning theology or trying to advance your study of doctrine is bad by any means. I do it. But you have to draw the fine line of of the people who you read about compared to the knowledge you have of Jesus Christ. And I'm guilty of that, wanting to know more about Jonathan Edwards and, and Augustine than Christ himself. But what a blessing it is that we have the scriptures and we have pastors who are able to preach and proclaim the word of truth one verse at a time. Let me remind you that the point of the Bible this point, or these 15 verses, are not about you. They're about Christ. So my hopes, as we walk through this book, as we walk through chapter 4, is John's hope. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe you may have life in His name, Amen. as He says in chapter 20, verse 31. 
And the, Samar- the story of the Samaritan woman does not shy away from that. The story's main focus isn't much on Christ evangelizing an outcast woman, but more so its focus is to unveil Christ. To affirm that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was the one that was promised before long ago. He is the Son of God. Amen. After taking an exegetical look at the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, where we learn that God did not love the world so much in an overly emotional, longing type way, but he loved the evil, sinful world of humanity. That is a complete hatred with him. That is a complete rebellion against him in this way. That he sent his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to die for every single person that the Father has given to the Son as a love gift before the foundation of the world. Amen. That salvation is not exclusively only for the Jews. And this is good news if you don't know this by now. But it's to every people who may believe from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation. You are one of them. Well, in John chapter 4, we see that salvation is brought to one of those peoples from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation. We learn in John 3 that one must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, we will see in John 4 an evidence of one being spiritually reborn as we see a woman bringing the good news that salvation has come to the Samaritan people. After getting very acquainted with a Jewish leader of the upper elite, we will now meet a woman who is viewed as the lowliest, the lowest of the lower class. In John 3, we saw how Nicodemus sought sought after Jesus at the middle of the night. Well, in John 4, we will see Jesus seeking out a woman at the high noon of the day. You see, for her, it was supposed to be just another regular day of drawing water from the well. When little did she know, the the son of the living God was awaiting her arrival. For him, it was just another day of doing the Father's will. He had a divine appointment, and he had to keep it. So as we go through these first 15 verses, I have three headings that... I would like for us to consider this morning, if you're taking notes, you can write them down. If you're taking mental notes, then remember them. Verses 1 through 6, we will see the divine appointment. Verses 7 through 11, we will see the gift of living water. And verses 11 through 15, we will see the satisfaction of living water. Verse number 1, it said, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So right now, Jesus is done with Judea. He wants to head to Galilee. There's, there's ministry there. There's people he needs to talk to. There's people he needs to, to meet. And we have to remember what is going on prior to Jesus leaving. Right now, John the Baptist is hated by the Pharisees. Why is he hated by the Pharisees? Because he was calling for them to repent, as you remember. He was calling for them to repent 
and be baptized. He was saying the upper elite, the most religious people of the day, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. This was very embarrassing to the Pharisees. You're going to tell me, one of the most religious men of the day, to repent of my sins when I keep the law, I do everything that the Old Testament commands. So we have Jesus who comes onto the scene and preaches the same message to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But Jesus does something that John cannot do. Jesus does miracles. And Jesus now is drawing huge crowds, more crowds than John. And mind you, John was a popular dude. He was very charismatic and he had a lot of people who uh, flocked to him. But Christ was drawing all those people away from John. And John wanted them to. John wanted people to start following Jesus. As he told the disciples, follow him. And also, Jesus wreaked havoc inside the temple. And that didn't go over pretty well with the Pharisees. So, this tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, this tension between John and the Pharisees, was building and building and mounting and mounting. And Jesus knew that. So he left. Was it out of fear? No, he didn't fear them. But I believe that Jesus didn't want a premature confrontation with the Pharisees. He knew that they were wolves. And he knew that they would try to trap him and question him. And he didn't want to go through that at that particular time. He had a lot to teach. He had a lot of places to go. He had a lot to say. Another thing to remember is that Jesus does everything according to his timing. John 10, verse 18, Christ says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The Father has given all things into his hand. And I remind you that nobody is going to lay a finger on Christ without his permission. Yes. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Well, technically, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. He could have went to Galilee in a roundabout way. And there were several roads, however, that led to Galilee. But Samaria was the fastest road you could take. John MacArthur would know, you're going to Galilee in the north. You're, going, you're in Jerusalem, Judea in the south. You could go to the west and go up the coastal plain and go that way and avoid Samaria. Samaria is a strip of land that's in the middle. Or you could go the eastern route by crossing the Jordan River, going up through an area called Perea, and then cross back over the Jordan River, and you have gone, or you would have gone literally around Samaria. I was trying to think of an analogy. I guess it's kind of like if you're here and you're trying to get to Arvin. But you don't want to pass through Lamont. <laughs> There's other ways. I mean, you can get there, but you don't want to go through Lamont. Um, that would be kind of like Samaria. Jews didn't go through. They didn't go through Samaria. Because Samaritans were unclean to them. But I believe when John uses these words, had to. He's trying to communicate something to us that God had decreed before the foundation of the world that Christ would walk through no man's land and bring the good news to an adulterous woman by a well. He needed to go through Samaria. 
He had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment. And he had to keep it. Jesus did not give one care that he was passing through Samaria. He isn't limited to some geographical area. He didn't care what was going on, the, the wars or, or the social issues of the day. But he pursued this woman in spite of all of that. Like he pursued you. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, heard, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, so just I'm right now I'm trying to paint a picture in your head right now, okay? He grows through Samaria where no Jews went. This walk to Samaria was no ordinary walk. It's a 20-mile hike, a rigorous walk, hills up and down, up and down. And Christ, at this point, is completely spent from his journey. He's exhausted. This is the perfect example of the humanity of Christ. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but... We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We have someone in Christ who can sympathize when we are tired, when we are hungry, when we are weak, when we are weary. So don't ever think that that your problems are too big for Jesus. He went through them all, and he did it without sin. For he says, take heed. I've overcome the world. I've overcome all of these things. Jesus can relate to us. He knew what it felt to be hungry, to be exhausted. He knew what it felt to be weary. And now the stage is set for this amazing, sovereign encounter with a sinful woman. This leads to the second heading, the gift of living water. We see in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Let's set the stage here. Right now, Jesus is completely spent from his journey. He just did a 20-mile hike, um, hills up and down, up and down. Um, He started early from his journey. It's 12 o'clock now. The sun is now coming up. And this is not Bakersfield sun. This is that desert-type sun. Something that we do not know anything about. And he was sitting beside a well. Probably leaning on it. Because he didn't want to use any of his body or energy to keep himself up. And a woman comes to draw water. It's also important to note here that at this particular time, it's the hottest day of the year. Or it's the hottest time of the day. It's the hottest time of the day. And what's odd about this woman coming at this time is that nobody came at this time. No woman would come at 12 o'clock in the hottest day or the hottest time of the day to draw water. That's unheard of. Usually women would wait till later in the day or they'll go early in the morning to draw water just to avoid the sun's heat. 
And also, women would occasionally travel in packs or groups to draw water. But this woman came alone. So she comes alone, and she's coming at the most hottest time of the day. Why did she come alone? Maybe because she wanted to avoid the, the name-calling. Maybe she wanted to avoid the awkward stares. Maybe she wanted to avoid the gossiping. You know, the things that women do when their girlfriends are around each other. She was trying to avoid all that. And the reason she was trying to avoid all that because this woman was an adulterous woman. She's been in five relationships and a person that she's with now is not her husband and she's just shacking up with him. She's viewed as an outcast. She's quite the opposite of Nicodemus, as you can see. Nicodemus was a proud man. This woman was ashamed of herself. Nicodemus was loved and respected by many. This woman was hated and ostracized by many. Then, to top this all off, Jesus does something unthinkable. And he tells her to give me a drink. See, he's a perfect example. He's been taking care of me ever since I was a kid. And Amen. Yep. Yep. But he does the unthinkable here. And he tells this woman to give me a drink. Now, why is this unthinkable? Because Jesus, you can't say things like that. You might say, well, he's Jesus, he's God, he can say whatever he wants. But no, at that particular time, men were not allowed to talk to women. Especially if you're a rabbi. If you're a teacher of the day, you did not even give, hold no mind to, to what women had to say. Men were not allowed to speak to women in the public. Matter of fact, you weren't even allowed to speak to your wife, your sister, your daughter, but exceptions could be made from others. But this was a complete no-no. And Jesus looks past the social customs of the day, and he shatters that. And he asks this woman for a drink of water. Do you see what's going on here now? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was saying. And I think that Jesus was trying to get a reaction from her. Maybe he was trying to get this woman to, to notice him. And have you noticed that when, usually when people say crazy things, things that are, you know, not of the norm, you brush it off, but let them say something again, and you're going to listen. Because you want to hear what they say. Because the first thing, if the first thing was crazy, man, what else is going to come out of his mouth? <laughs> I think that Jesus was trying to do that here. But you want to know how sovereign Jesus is in all of this? You want to know how what John Piper would say, how purposeful Jesus is? Look at verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It doesn't take 12 people to go buy food. It doesn't take 10 people to go buy food. It doesn't take 5 people to go buy food. This was all foreordained. Do you, do you see what's going on here now? This was all foreordained before the foundation of the world. 
that in the town of Samaria, at the high noon of the day, a woman would come by herself to draw water. And Jesus wanted to be alone with her. He wanted to have a conversation with her. He wanted to have a heart-to-heart with her. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. You see, the tension between Jews and Samaritans were at an all-time high at this point. D.A. Carson explains this. After the Assyrians captured Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, in 722 B.C., they deported all the Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion. You can read that in 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18. After the exile of the southern kingdom of Babylon, Jews returned to their homeland, viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. About 400 B.C., Samaritans built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. So we have ethnic, we have racial, we have religious issues that made the Jews feel disdain for the Samaritan people. They were ceremonially unclean, they were racially unpure, they were religiously heretical, and therefore... They were avoided, as Piper would say here. But when it says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, that's kind of a loose translation. Because Jews had some dealings with Samaritans. But what it really means here is, they don't use the same utensils. They don't use the same things together. They don't drink from the same cup, they don't use the same plates, use the same napkins, use the same forks, spoons. They don't do any of that. Because Samaritans were unclean. So when Jesus tells her, give me a drink, you see how unthinkable that is? A Jew asking a Samaritan, give me a drink. But Christ is not interested in just a drink of water. He's interested in a drink of water from her canteen. He wants a drink from her cup. He wants water from her bucket. He doesn't even have a bucket. She's a little taken back by this, but nevertheless, she's, she's very, very intrigued. She's probably saying to herself, man, who is this man? Does he not know what he's asking of me? Does he not know what's going on in the tension that's between our people? Christ shatters all of that. He goes to a town, he goes through a town where I bet you when he was walking, they were just looking at him like, man, who is this dude? Why is he here? And he sits on a well that's considered unclean. Then he asks for a drink from a Samaritan woman who is considered unclean. He shatters all of these social issues of the day. He will not let go of this woman. He is pursuing her. In verse 10, Jesus says this monumental answer. He answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. Jesus is telling her, if you only knew who was standing in front of you, if you only knew who the person that's standing in front of you and that's speaking, you wouldn't have reminded me about the social issues of the day. You wouldn't have reminded me that you're a Samaritan and I'm a Jew. But no, you would have dropped everything. You would have dropped on your knees and you would have said, no, please, you, you give me the drink. Jesus is saying, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was standing in front of you, if you knew that woman, I am the gift of God. Christ is the gift of God. Then you would have said what you said. But see, she can't understand that. Because she is so blinded by her sin, as we were, as we all were. We didn't know what was going on when we were in our rebellious, unregenerate state. But God, He pierced through all of that. And He went through all of these social and our depraved heart. And He told us, if you knew who was standing in front of you, and then he put his spirit inside of you. And now we are drinking from his bucket. He's saying, woman, I have living water for you. Only if you ask and I will give it to you. Ask and you shall receive. This living water Jesus is referring to is a myriad of things. Some say salvation. Some say eternal life. Some say the Holy Spirit. It's all of it. It's a package deal. The Holy Spirit and the life that the Holy Spirit brings, a life that is a life filled with with joy and happiness in Christ and Him alone, the life that He brings and the eternal life that is to come, Christ alone gives the living water that issues for salvation and eternal life This is the living water that leaps in the believer's life, that creates in him a passion for righteousness, godliness, holiness, that seeks to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Do you understand that that's what you were made to do? You were made for joy and joy in God. The Holy Spirit leads you. The Holy Spirit guides you in all things, which produces fruit, and delight, and how Edwards would say, a sweet taste for Christ. A life that has hope, a life that has meaning, that death is not the end, but like Pastor John would say, only a promotion. John Calvin would say, we only know who Christ is when we understand what the Father has given us in him, and what the blessings he brings. Brothers and sisters, don't forget the gifts that God has given to us in Christ. They are all gifts. The gift of sight to see your sin. The gift of repentance. The gift of faith. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of being a new creation in Him. The gift of being a joint heir. The gift of reconciliation. 
The gift of no longer being a slave, but you are now adopted as a son. The gift of the eternal inheritance. And Christ says, when it's all over, you're going to reign with me. These are gifts. These are the gifts that you meditate on. These are the gifts that you worship God for. And when you understand the gifts, when you understand the gift of living water, it will lead to a satisfaction of living water. Verses 11 says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's still clueless. She still has no idea what's going on. She's thinking of temporal, earthly water, and Christ is talking about spirituality. She has no idea what this is going on. She's just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Okay, well, where is there a womb for me big enough to get into? He tells the woman, I have living water for you. If you only knew who stood in front of you, you would ask and I will give it to you. Okay, well, um, this well is deep. Um, I have, you have nothing to draw with. Where do you get this living water? She's just like us. She goes on and says, in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answers her question in verse 13, and he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling to eternal life. Yes, woman, I am superior to Jacob. I am far superior than Jacob. And I'm superior to Abraham. And I'm superior to all of the people that you have read. Mind you, Samaritans only read the first uh, five books of the Bible. The rest of the Bible they rejected. Because you see, woman... You're going to have to come back tomorrow for more water. And you're going to have to come back the next day and the next day and month after month and year after year. But but with my water, you won't need to refill your bucket. But with my water, you're not going to need seconds. You won't need more But the water that I will give will be all that you ever need. You see, woman, this water from this well is a quick replenishment. But the water that I will give is an everlasting replenishment. And what this water does for your dry mouth, my water will do for your dry soul. So the question I have for us this morning and for you to pray about and meditate on is, have you drank from the living water? Does your soul burn with a desire to grow in the grace 
of God. Is Christ the everlasting, soul-satisfying, living water to you? Or do you still find delight in the water from the well? Like C.S. Lewis would say, are you still satisfied in making mud pies in the slums? Because you can't imagine, you can't wrap your brain around a holiday at the sea. You think that the temporal, earthly well is good enough? If your happiness is found in this temporary water from the well, then, then my, what low standards do you have? Yes, you were made for joy, but you were made for joy in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is far more better water out there. There is a water out there that doesn't just give you a quick, quick replenishment, but it, inside of you creates a well Man. that springs forth. Yes. Yes. Christ is, is the supreme foundation of living water. Do you see Jesus that way? Yes. Embrace him. Yes. I urge you to taste him. Yes. Yes. You don't even need a bucket. Hallelujah. Psalms 34:8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen. When you see Christ, Amen. when you see Christ as the supreme pleasure Christ as the source of living water, as your treasure in life. It doesn't just quench your thirst, but it produces in you the Holy Spirit and the everlasting joy in Christ and the benefits that you have in Jesus Christ. I say, like John Calvin said at the end of the Institutes, book two, drink from no other fountain. In Jesus Christ. Understand the fullness of life and the pleasure that you have in Jesus Christ and everything that's being offered to you as a cheap substitute to what God has given to you in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the God that we serve. A God that far exceeds and that is more better than anything in this world. But if you can't see that, then I pray that you ask God to give you that gift of sight, to see God as pleasurable, as, as the satisfactory treasure that He is. This is not some type of overly emotional sermon. But this is Christianity. We all want happiness. But the problem is, we find happiness in the wrong places. And Christ is saying, if you only knew the happiness that I can give you, if you only knew the joy that I will bring, then you would have dropped your bucket and you would have given it to me, your soul. And when you understand all of that, when Christ is the supreme pleasure, the supreme joy, when he's the fountain of living water, you can say like the psalmist said, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey 
to my mouth. The last verse in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And you might think, okay, she's not understand, but she still has no clue what's going on. She still has no idea who's standing in front of her. She still has no idea what this living water is and how you get it. But the next thing that Christ tells her is going to cut through the heart. The next thing that Christ tells her will reveal to her who he really is. It's kind of fuzzy to her at this moment, but it's going to all start to becoming more clear to her next week. Let's pray.